You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 24th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your pizza-eating host, Mason, and I'm joined by my Good Eats co-host, Trey McClellan. I'm here for the double dozen. That's right, baby. Let's rock this mambo, though, and jump right into the episode. That is not a thing. <laughs> no one says that. I hear people say it all the time when I go to events, so I'm very confused as to what you mean, Trey. I know that you just because you don't believe in young people doesn't mean you can't say that what we say isn't true. I'm so mad about it. <laughs> well, this week, we're talking all about spoilers. I know. You, you're looking at your podcast app, and you're like, man, I really hope there's a podcast about spoilers this week. We heard you. We came. We're here to talk about spoilers. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some of our favorite cards here. Some cards might not even make our top two. Some are hard-locked already. Who knows? All I know is that we have some amazing new patrons we get to shout out this week. We got to do a shout-out last week, so I'm going to start off there with Kalyon. I believe is how you say your Discord name. Who knows? Seems like a made-up word. You rock, though. We've been talking about some pretty cool stuff in the Discord. And I'm going to rapid-fire this week. So we got Thomas, Ellison, Hippo, Michael, and Holden. Thank you all so much for becoming a patron of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, you go to patreon.com slash evenoddspodcast. You know, a patron of any amount you can join the Discord. Different levels give you different perks. It's all on there. If you don't want to, you don't enjoy the show, hey, just listen. That's all you need to do. we got to come up with a name for what is it, like the Dice Army, uh, Dice Gang, the what, Mamba Gang. Or the Rollers. The Rollers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Bay City Rollers? Yeah, we're like Inkling players. we got our royal <laughs> Rollers. Like, and then we F-Smash you off stage. Oh, oh, you're talking about Smash. I yeah. got confused as to what you were talking about. <laughs> no, did you really? I thought you were just playing all that funny. <laughs> Not cutting that. All right, but seriously, though, we do want to make sure we give our sponsor adequate time. So, Trey, roll that clip. Wayfinder Travel Agency is back with the final trip through the guilds of Ravnica, this summer's blockbuster experience. Do you need to go fast? Is keeping it 110% a little too slow for you? Then you'll love the newest offering from Wayfinder Travel Agency. It's the Boros running with the bull Ceridons. You and a legion of your fellow competitors will rush through the streets of Ravnica with a herd of wild bucking Ceridons. Make haste or be laid to waste at this year's Boros running of the bull Ceridons. Yeah, my uncle actually went to that um, back for his honeymoon, and he loved it. Never walked right since. Oh, yeah, I mean, he got... <laughs> Horribly mangled, but luckily they have a great lawyer that makes you sign and edit a whole contract. It's all, but it's real fun. It's really a once in a lifetime experience because afterwards you will not be physically able to do it again. No, no, your legs will be mostly for show. And honestly, the my favorite part about this is now we've seen all of the guild offerings. So you know everything you can do at Wayfinder Travel Agency. Make sure to go there and use the promo code High Roller at checkout to get four percent back in store credit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great deal. Trey's <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was going to happen. That's so amazing. Yeah, and that's just, you know, our sponsors always bring an extra stuff there. So if you want to become a real sponsor, that's cool too. <laughs> let's, let's jump right into the cards though because we have Patreon questions. Is this, It's going to all be about spoiler cards. That's all anyone cares about right now, I imagine. Yeah, that seems to be what everybody's talking about. That's all any of us talk about. You know, it's awesome that with Magic, we get to do this four times a year. It's like, let's go! Yeah, get I mean, excited all over again. Four times a year, me and Trey are like, what are we going to do this week on the podcast? Oh, right! Talk about cards! <laughs> right, yeah. It's like it's like we get to do the NFL draft four times a year. Yeah, it's super fun. We get to talk about the next Hall of Famer. It's going to be really exciting. Make sure to check out next week, though. we got a special episode of Special Guests coming on, so get excited for that. No spoiler talk next week, we promise. Right, and we're also not going to spoil the surprise for the next episode that's not about spoilers. Yeah, because we would not want any leaks to ruin the integrity of our schedule. <laughs> I'm, do you want to hop in? Let's go for it. What's, what's your first card? What do you want to talk about? I want to start off with a... Okay. Who's hot, who's not? I'm going to start off with a home runner, and or maybe not. A home star runner, or just a home runner? That's a sports reference, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's for an old... Video game? No, that's for a website that used to do cartoons in the early 2000s. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start with Dreadhorde Arcanist, though. It's one in a red for a creature zombie wizard with trample. Whenever Dreadhorde Arcanist attacks, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the power of Dreadhorde Arcanist's power from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. It is a 1 3. 
weird card, right? So for like legacy and modern and stuff like that, you can do some cool stuff like lightning bolts. You can do, you know, a blue red deck. You could brainstorm, ponder, preordain, all that cool and cool stuff. That stuff's gonna be talked about a lot. Let's talk standard for a second. Okay. Trey, have you ever heard of the deck Red Green Pummeler? I have. It was a pretty cool deck. It was. You had a energy mechanic thing going on. Yeah, and so this you had in play it was basically a deck that would put pump spells on this on a couple of efficient creatures, but the main one being electrostatic pummeler, that you would spend three energy to double its power. That's the comparison I get with this card. Because it says every pump spell you cast will double its power. Because most pump spells that you want to play are uh, more power than mana costs in the ratio, especially when you add one to it from its base power. So for an example might be if you cast giant growth on this card, you will get another giant growth for free. Yeah, but giant growth's not in standard right now. It is in standard, baby. They just spoiled it. There you go. Boom! We also have Collision Colossus, which is a like uh, a split card that either deals six damage or a creature of flying or gives plus four, plus two, and trample. And both half of those are two mana. So you can actually when you you attack, you can even cast the plus four, plus two half, and then cast the deal six to like kill a dragon and hit them for five. Or you can hit them for nine with casting it again without using the mana cost. So it really is just a way to double your pump spells. I mean, we have Giant Growth Collision Colossus, and there's another one called Samut Sprint, I believe, which is red for an instant. Give target creature plus two, plus one. Haste, which is important with this card, right? And Scry one. So this card, even if you just like cast that and you hit someone for five and Scry two, in a deck like this, Scrying is super important. I think this card is a real shot to create a new archetype of like an aggressive red-green deck that uses pump spells. Do you think that there would be any synergies going along with this card with the other pre-existing like red wizards that are uh, in standard presently? Maybe. The fact that it's a wizard means wizard's lightning costs one mana, even in the graveyard. I, I believe it's how that card would work. I'm not actually sure. I think if you got it to three power, you could cast wizard's lightning. But I know the first half would definitely cost one mana. Uh, I need to look into that, but I'm pre- I don't think actually... It would definitely be still be three mana because it says the conferred mana cost of the card. So right. you need to pump spell it first, but you can go like play some of the red wizards as some of your creatures, like Lava Runner or something, right? And be like, all right, I'm going to Wizards Lightning your thing. I'm going to Giant Growth this. And then I'm going to cast Wizards Lightning now that it's four power. So next turn I can attack and cast Giant Growth because it's still back at one power. Because that's the other thing too, is you don't have to cast them all in one turn. You can cast it and then next turn for like specifically some Mutt and Giant Growth, some Mutt Sprint Giant Growth. The next turn, you'll be able to cast them for free if you don't have anything in hand. So you can get kind of tricky. And you can also, the cool thing about this is, you can spread that pump along. Uh, spread that pump around, right? Let's say I had three creatures and this in play. I could giant growth my creature to my left, whatever it is. I attack with this and giant growth the creature to the right. And now, this creature is a 1-3 that if you don't kill, it's going to make pump spells happen later. And you're going to take six more damage if you don't block these. So you can do some really tricky and cool stuff. And that's assuming I don't have another pump spell in hand. And I've shown you I'm a psycho playing giant growth in standard. So get ready. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of really cool things you can do. There's Dreadhorde Butcher, which is the Slith Firewalker. It's a black and a red for a haste 1-1. When it deals damage to an opponent or a Planeswalker, you have a plus one, plus one counter. And when it dies, it deals damage equal to his power to target player, creature, or target uh, player or permanent, I think. So you can do Planeswalkers or creatures. But basically with that card too, you could play one three uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist on two, that on three, Giant Growth it, attack giant growth arcanist right and then you're like i'm attacking you for eight and that's pretty good and if like they don't block then it's going to get bigger and they do block the uh dreadhorde butcher right it's going to be very hard for them to actually kill it without another spell so it's probably two four and then it domes them or kills another creature and then arcanist is a one three at the base which is important because with any pump spell it becomes very hard to kill in combat and that's that's my main thoughts. Trey, what do you think about all this? So what you're saying is, is that in the set with 36 Planeswalkers, where there's going to be all of this other cool stuff talk going on, what you want to talk about... The first card. The correct. first card that you want to talk to the people about, our listeners, our loyal, loyal listeners, is just an aggressive red card <laughs> that you cast cheap spells with. Correct, yeah. Okay. In fact, I think that's an important thing to take note of if you have a PTQ in the first week. Good set up there, Trey. Is if people in the... like. Some of the earlier round people might be playing decks that are like super friends or have extra walkers than normal. Walkers are really good if the game goes long. If the game doesn't go long, walkers are really bad. Especially the ones in these sets. A lot of them don't occur immediate amazing value. So that we have seen so far. So something to keep in mind. But I think that archetype is real and there's obviously way cool applications with cantrips and combo pieces in the older formats. And you can do cool stuff in standard. But I think it requires pump spells for the most part. Right. Yeah, there are lots of things that are going on outside of just um, 
just the pump spells. I mean, like you said, cantrips, there are cheap cantrips that exist in standard, right? Yeah. Opt. Opt. You know, there are things that you could be doing to still filter through your deck and, and casting off of this could be interesting. So where the best home for this is, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you that I think probably something that's red-green or maybe Jund, if the mana's not too terrible, like could be something that's interesting for this card. But I do think that being hyper-aggressive with pump spells and that type of thing is probably where it's going to get the most value mm-hmm. because you're going to get to do the most ridiculous stuff. Uh, in that regard, you know, if you were to go towards the Jun thing, you do get access, like you said, to the Butcher card. There's also things like Judith and the new uh, the new card that's also when a creature dies, it pings in a similar fashion. Mayhem Devil. Yeah, Mayhem Devil, which gives you a similar type of effect. So This deck could also play Thud, and attacking with the 1-3 and, like, double thudding could be good. So... <laughs> double thudding sounds like a weird thing that you probably shouldn't do when <laughs> oh, yeah. you're in public. This is a PG podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to double don't, thud. We, yeah, we do not condone double thud. <laughs> By the way, we should probably have mentioned this before I started talking. We are going to, for the most part, unless we truly believe the other person's card's unplayable, we're going to try and look at the best things possible. And this is every time we talk about cards unless we say otherwise in spoiler season. Because it's very easy to tear a card down. Right. It is much better to try and think about what we can do with cards, especially cards like this that are weird. So I meant to say at the beginning, that's my bad. I understand that putting Giant Growth and some uh, Sprint in your deck has a real cost. Not lost on me, but the, this card might be good enough to make you go that route. Right. I, I'm curious about this card as well. I, I think the fact that it is a wizard is not to be lost, right? Like Because there are a lot of cost reduction things that go on right now in the current things that are wizards. And for anybody that played in the Dominaria draft environment, like Red-Blue Wizards from a draft standpoint was a very powerful synergistic combination. Right, and so if they are printing new additional wizards that have powerful effects, like is that going to be enough to tip the scale from it going to being a limited only player to a constructed player? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of those pieces right now, but those cards have a lot of interesting synergies that play together. Well, so like I'll give you a god curve example. Shock your one drop, turn two player Canis, turn three play Adelaide's attack. Right. Let's say just Adelaide. Let's say they play a creature. They play another creature on the next turn. You go wizards lightning. Let's say go lightning strike your thing. Trigger my Adelaide's, my Arcanist gets bigger, attack, now my Arcanist is a 2-4, uh, lightning strike your other thing, hit you for 5. Yeah. Your turn. Yeah, I mean, there's some real possibilities. You could also get to on 1, you yeah. know, in addition to that. Yeah, you know? th- yeah that, that's another great example, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there there are a lot of powerful things that are happening in the Is It Wizard space. Um, and, you know, I played a version of that deck before that was just, like, red-blue, really aggressive with Adelaide's, and, like, things get out of hand quickly. And if you're getting to cast all of your instants in that situation twice... Throughout the course of the game because of this card? I don't know. Maybe it's something. It's something to keep an eye on. Chart, by the way, Charter Course with this card is very good. Like in the Adelaide's example, if you like main phase a Charter Course and discard something, it's now a 2 and then it's attacked for raid. Right? Yeah. That yeah. is something. That's I, a lot of cards. I want to spend all day on this card. If you want to talk about this card, hop on the Discord, baby. Become a patron. <laughs> Let's go to the next card. Trey, what do you got? So, uh... I want to talk about a card that this is something that I've been playing a lot in the standard right now of Grixis Midrange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a thing that I hit Mythic with, not this most recent season, but the season before, and I've Sick also been racks. playing, well, just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I've been playing it a lot right now. And this is a card that fits into the type of strategy for that type of a deck, I think, really well for standard. And that's Davriel, comma, Rogue Shadow Mage, which is... Whoa, we're using commas? That's what's in there. Letting you know. Wow. I am not. She's <laughs> trying to have that. an appropriate nomenclature. <laughs> um, uh, it's black and two. Legendary Planeswalker. Uh, at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if that player has one or fewer cards in hand, Davriel, Rogue, Shadow Mage, deals two damage to them. So that's the static ability. Comes in with three loyalty, and it has minus one target player discards a card. There's a lot going on here. But this is essentially a, like a rack type effect, you know, which is if their opponent has fewer cards in hand than... Uh, one, then they take damage every time, you know, and then you can also make them discard cards. As it stands right now, the Grixis Midrange deck operates in a lot of trading off one-for-one resources and also like a sub-theme of making your opponent discard cards. Like it can play things occasionally out of the sideboard like Duress or Thought Erasure. Uh, and in the main deck, you're playing Nicol Bolas and you're playing Ongraf a lot of the time. And Eldest Reborn. And Eldest Reborn. It's a card, yeah, but still. It's a card, but like you, you are often running your opponent out of resources, making them discard things. Also Carnival Carnage. Like, you'll sometimes just mind rot them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's more similar to Blightning than mind rot, since it does three of them. Yeah. But this fits into that, right? Like, if you think about a curve of, like, you know, playing this on three, making your opponent discard a card, then playing Nicol Bolas on four, making them discard a card, and then playing Ongrath or Eldest Reborn on five, like, they're going to run out of resources pretty quickly, especially because they're discarding multiple times off of this. 
like in a mid-range matchup, in a mid-range mirror specifically, if there's all this kind of like slow planeswalkery stuff going on, like this becomes really difficult to deal with. And then it also becomes like you could just play this first one and make them discard three cards across three turns, and then play a second one and start trying to hit them for damage. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like like you said, like let's just say you played on three and went minus 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 on turn five. You play another one minus on turn five. They're losing two cards, which like that's a lot for two. Like you didn't do a lot, but also they haven't done a lot because they've lost a lot of resources. And some decks don't start Kavan to those later turns, especially Esper decks. You know, without Teferi, they won't be able to keep up. But keep talking. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, against against control decks, this kind of card seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Right. Like. If, if on turn three, they have to be concerned of you playing, like, if you're playing a Grixis deck, you have to be playing, like, Thief of Sanity or this. Like, turn three becomes a really scary turn for them. Like, overall. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there might be a thing where, like, they're like, I need to shock to hold up Moment of Craving or Cast Down for Thief. And you're like, cool, do you have Syncopate? Davriel, right? Get like, you. Yeah, yep. and then get you. So, I think this card's really interesting, especially in this type of a mid-range deck. And I think that that could also have implications in Sultai, too, like, out of the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Like, for the same kind of reasons, right? Like, anything that's going to be a grindy matchup, a long matchup, like, this is just going to put you ahead from a resource standpoint in a way that I think is really interesting. Yeah, and it's important to look at these Planeswalkers. Remember, that a lot of them are going to be sideboard when it comes to uncommons. They have weird niche effects, and yeah. Also, we didn't even mention that in Modern, the rack. Oh, like, yeah. Now you can play, like, 10 rack. And instead of playing this one-mana artifact that does nothing by itself, you have a slightly worse rack that fits your game plan better. Right, that like gives you value on getting to where it is you need to go, in exactly. addition to just being a rack. Yeah, it's like you get to play like a 62-card deck, right? Because you want to play discard spells and racks, and this does both spots, so. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really interesting card, and it's, a, it's the type of thing that, like, the only place that I can think of it, at least initially in Standard, where I would want it potentially main deck is in a Grixis mid-range type shell, because I think it fits the overall game plan. But I think it's an interesting sideboard card against like mid-range decks and control cards against other black decks, like in other black decks. Yeah, and if, if you really, like, you don't, let's say you don't have blue, right, and you want a Thought Eraser type card, this isn't quite Thought Eraser, but like maybe in like the mid-range mirrors like we're talking about, if Grixis becomes a thing because of this, you're going to want your own to like stop their stuff, so. Yeah, and the number of times, especially like if you're playing against like Sultai and they're like sitting there holding a crisis, right? Like deploy everything, deploy everything, deploy everything, trying to build up and they're going to get you with that crisis and then reload. And you're just like, nope, discard a card. Yep. It really gets them. I will say that Krasis also can go the other way. <laughs> I, didn't, I actually didn't think about that until you said it. I forgot Krasis was a card because Sultai sucks. <gasps> boom, 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 boom! Shots fired. <laughs> my, my bad, July. Don't let me do a We love you. Please don't. Uh, so, <laughs> but jokes aside, um, Horton did not like that. I don't know if y'all heard that. The dog just went, he likes Sultai a lot. <laughs> but still, but like you did say, like you do weigh on Hydro Krasis a lot. You do. So it can catch those and I'll, I played Grixis Midrange a lot. Hydrocrisis is a problem. So, that's for real. Anything else you want to say on that card? No, I think I think that covers it. What All do you right. got? What's next? The only Planeswalker I have to talk about today. Give me the goods. Jace, Wielder of Mysteries. Or as I call him, Cryptic Jace. Because okay. his, his CMC is that of Cryptic Command. Okay, One I'll allow it. Blue, blue, blue. For a legendary Planeswalker, Hase. If, <laughs> if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game! The old, the old Laboratory Maniac clause. Yep. Uh, then has plus one. Target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. Draw a card. I do love a mill. Yep. Minus eight. Draw seven cards. Then if your library has no cards in it, you win the game. I didn't get that at first, but Trey explained it to me. Basically, if you'd be at exactly seven and you wouldn't draw the seventh card from it, it'll win the game. Yeah, right. So, like, normally if you were doing that, you would have to have less than seven cards in your deck for you to win the game based on the static clause. Yeah. But because of the way that's worded, if you had exactly seven cards in your deck, you would draw those seven, and you would normally not win the game for the static clause because you haven't drawn while having an empty deck. Exactly. But because that has that additional wording on it, you would win the game in that situation. And it starts at four loyalty. So it takes four turns before you get to draw seven and potentially win the game, but probably not win on the spot. Unless you consider drawing seven cards to be winning the game, in which case, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I do. <laughs> yeah, so this card, uh, I don't have as much to stand on as I did on uh, the Arcanist. But I think this card has a lot of different roles and can be a potential role player. Um, so first, in a control deck, it's just like a four-mana Planeswalker that draws cards. It's very hard to cast in like an Esper deck with being one blue, blue, blue. But like if there's another, there's like a blue X deck, like some sort of control deck like that, this could be something. If you play like a Sultai deck, there are some like self-mill cards in the Golgari thing. Like, um, I forget its name now, but the one one that mills three when dies, you mill three. Stitcher Supplier. Stitcher Supplier. 
that that mills yourself. You can do some cool kill myself stuff. Well, so there was a there was a black green self mill deck already, right? Yeah. Like it was the, it was the alternate version of of where we've ended up with Sultai, right? Like mm-hmm. you had Glowspore Shamans, you had Azonis, you had Molder mm-hmm. Hulks, mm-hmm. right? Like there were these cards that rewarded you for playing a self mill. So it's you know the idea of playing a three blue Planeswalker in a Sultai self mill deck seems preposterous, but you know there's cards like Incubation Druid that make that not so bad. Yeah, there's that, there's Paradise Druid. There's also Glowspore Shaman. You don't normally use the mode to buy back a land, but if you got Jace in your hand next time you can cast it, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a Watery Grave. Right, there's also Gift of Paradise. Like, there's a lot of different ways that you could possibly make the mana work to, to reward you for doing that kind of thing. For sure. Now, I don't know if you should be doing that, but this card, I think, is just reasonable. Like, I think in a... Con- like, so that way I just told you about, like, self-milling isn't probably reasonable. It's probably, like very nifty and whatever, like a sweet deck to play on Arena. I'm sure you'll see me stream at twitch.tv slash Clark. And <laughs> it is cool, right, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that's some cool stuff to think about. But in a control deck, I think it's real. Like, just draw a card and work towards winning the game is important. And if you can synergize it with Chemistry's Insight, Radical Idea, any other jumpstart cards, like specifically, like it seems to be, is it focused? Is it Orgogari, right? When it comes to like the color combos you could work with well. Because they're like, if you, I don't think you would normally play the uh, direct current, but there are a lot of two drops. It's like, well, this is like draw a card in my mill. Maybe I'll play one of it or something. There's some cool things that can be done with this card. And I just think it deserves a little bit more attention than it's been given. If they reprint Whip of Veribos, I'll play this card all over the place. <laughs> if they reprint Mind Lash, I'll play it in every deck until it rotates. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Yeah, so this card is interesting. Like the the thing that holds me back on it is the mana cost, right? Yeah, like that's the, that's like the it seemed it seemed like it would, like it got there because it was so good. Right, like it looks like it should have been two blue blue. Right, but it's one blue blue blue, which makes me scared. Like that could be good. Yeah, I'm but, pointing to it. By the way, you can't see on the thing, but I'm like I'm looking at the mana cost. And I'm like, this is it. Yeah, the mana cost is something that is prohibitive. But you know, we're at the point where mana is going to be better than it's going to be at any other point in the block, right? Like we have all of the cards, we have all of the lands. We're going to be able to try to do as much of the things that we're going to be able to do. We have planeswalker lands that fix mana too. So yeah, so there might be some possibilities there. The, the effects are powerful. Uh, there are things that are interesting about it. Um, the difficult part is going to be finding a home for it based on how, how restrictive the mana is, right? Like, because it becomes, it's not a splashable card, generally. Yeah, you have to be base blue. Right. Or, or have insane fixing. So, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> That's ne- next yeah. card. That's but you're talking about insane fixing. Gates. Go on. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying that, like, you know, getting any kind of strict color requirements in that type of a deck is not hard. Are you telling me I could mill my Gate Colossus and put it on top and yeah, draw a card? Yeah, that's, that's a possibility. Yeah, that's too deep even for me. Let's go on the next <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about not a Planeswalker. Oh, a Hearthstone card? I'm going to talk about uh, Lord Godfrey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Massacre Girl. Uh, Massacre Girl is Black Black 3. It is a human assassin, legendary creature. It is a 4-4 Menace, and then has uh, an Enter the Battlefield ability that when Massacre Girl enters the battlefield, each other creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Whenever a creature dies this turn, each creature other than Massacre Girl gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. So there's a lot going on with this card. There's a couple of things that I think is important to, to point out. So we make the joke that it's like a Hearthstone card, right? Anybody who's played Hearthstone, there's a, there's a card called Defile. Uh, which has a very similar type of effect. And there's a card called uh, Lord Godfrey, which is a creature that comes into play with a very similar type of effect. There are some distinct differences, though, between this card and those cards that I think is worth noting. That this is a, a just a one-time effect. When it, when it enters the battlefield, all creatures get minus one, minus one, other than Massacre Girl. Okay, and then if a creature dies, which does not have to be from that effect, like it could be a creature dies from anything. You use a removal spell, it dies in combat. It's whenever a creature dies this turn, each creature gets an additional minus one, minus one. So it could be for any number of things. It's just the turn that you play Massacre Girl, every time a creature dies, everything else gets minus one, minus one. That can be both as a result of this effect and both as a result of something else occurring. So Combat. Com- combat, removal spells, any number of other things. So there's a lot of really tricky stuff that's going on with this card. Now, you can get into a similar type of a Defile type situation where you play this, they have an X1, an X2, an X3. You know, and then this just kills everything that's not Massacre Girl. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that's going to be very powerful. But the trickier parts of this card, and it's a part that a lot of people are going to get got on, because it is not uh, 
uh, very clear templating or very easy to understand because there's never been an effect that's really like this in Magic. And they're immediately, if they've played Hearthstone, going to associate it with the way the Hearthstone card works, and you're going to get them. Because yeah. you're going to kill something, they're going to block something, and you're like, cool, all the rest of your stuff dies. Well, also, if you kill three 1-1s one with this, it's three triggers of minus one, minus one, where in Hearthstone, it'd be one instance of repeating. That's correct. Yep. Yes, so this is going to be something that does a lot of damage and does a lot of things. Like, it's a 5-costed 4-4, four, four, which is not really great on the vanilla test, but it is Menace, which 4-4 four, four Menace is a lot. Like, that's a big creature. Yeah. Um, also interesting is that this is an enter the battlefield effect, not a cast effect. And so, uh, this, uh, this brings up blink possibilities, which is something that I'm always really interested in, as you well know. Um, this is a card that can be really, uh, really crazy if you have the ability to blink it into play. It's Jessica's portal. It's a, in fact, Lord Godfrey. It is exactly Lord Godfrey, (laughs) uh, if you do, uh, spend the seven mana, uh, to do it in that way. But this is something that I think is going to make, uh, in mid-range decks particularly, uh, combat is going to be a nightmare. And if you are a mono-white player, you do not want to see this card in, in existence at all. <laughs> it's really bad. For sure. I have nothing else to do. you have anything you want to talk about this card? No, it's awesome. I love it. Uh, I also do love that I saw a tweet from the design team that said they've been trying to get this card into a set for seven years. Oh, really? They said that they have been trying to get this card made for seven years. And at some point in the process, it has always been kicked out for one reason or another, and then they finally made it to print in this set. So it's something that they've been very excited about. Yeah, that's super cool. I did not know that story at all. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting to just to be like that there's somebody on the design team that's like, this card is cool. I will never give up (laughs) (laughs) until it is printed. I wonder if it's because there are so many Planeswalkers. That just doesn't just completely destroy the games of Limited. Because I imagine it's like an unbeatable card in Limited in a normal format. I would think so. Yeah, and I imagine it would still be so in this format to an extent. But probably more bearable with there being Planeswalkers everywhere. Yeah, even just like taking out the blink aspects of it. Like, can you think about, like, you play this, kill everything, then they kill it, and you, like, memorial to folly it back to your hand, and it's like, ugh, <laughs> <Yeah>. gross. <laughs> well, my next card is Dreadhorde Butcher. It's black and red for a creature zombie warrior. <laughs> Where have I heard about this before? <laughs> hey, if I was a better podcaster, I would have put this after my other guy. <laughs> uh, but I didn't want to go back to back on the aggressive cards. Whenever Dreadhorde Butcher deals combat damage to a player or a planeswalker, put plus one, plus one counter on Dreadhorde Butcher. And when it dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. I mentioned this card back when I talked about Arcanist just a few minutes ago. And Dreadhorde Butcher is an interesting card. Because I'm not sure if it's actually good enough, or I'm not sure if it's busted. And it's interesting because a lot of people have been on different spectrums. If you listen to Pro Points at all, um, we've been on Twitter. Sam Black said he thinks the card's like unplayable. And PV was like, this card's insane. And Siggy, for what it's worth, was like, my porridge is just right. I think it's fine. <laughs> there are Goldilocks now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got that real vibe when I talk about the card. But it's interesting because it, like, it is really powerful. Like, getting on the board and when it takes over the game, it's so bad in the late game. It's like a worse firebrand in a lot of ways. And I think it will go really well with the Dreadhorde Canis deck. So that, it's another card I want to highlight that. I don't want to spend much more time on this, but I will say this before we move on, where you have anything you want to say. Is if you attack for one, put a counter, you then go Collision from Collision Colossus, you get a plus four, plus two, and you hit them against another counter, and you thud them, they are dead. That is 22 damage. That's a lot of damage. On turn three. Only three cards. Now, it is the three-card combo, but besides thud, you could see a world where you put the other two in your deck. <laughs> yeah, you're not really seeing a world right now where you're playing a lot of thuds. That's because you haven't seen Arcanist in play to, yet. To get to the point where you're going to have thud on turn three, you're going to want to play a bunch of thuds, which is a rough one. Twa thuds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just think the card is going to be good in like a, in a deck that plays pump spells. It makes sense. Something that gives trample makes sense with this card to like push through little creatures in the early game. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, you know, there are like a a lot of really interesting and aggressive Rakdos cards, and we haven't really seen that find a place in standard yet. And so, I'm curious to see whether or not things like this will push that over the limit. You know, will your will your darling Judith finally see the light of day? I don't know. <laughs> Judith is great, and it's just a matter of when Judith sees play. And then my better Judith will be worth its weight in gold. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on because I don't think there's much more to say about that card. It goes everything I said with Arcanus. Just throw that card in there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk about another blinkable five drop, which to the surprise of no one. So effective on cost. (laughs) This one is great, though. Uh, This card is awesome. This is uh, Tulsimer Friend to Wolves, which is uh, green, green, white, and two. Legendary creature, elf, scout. 
When Tulsimer, friend to wolves, enters the battlefield. <laughs> what a name, sorry. Yeah, you know, it's a lot. Uh, I'm probably not saying any of these things correctly. Uh, I think wolves is right. I think I got that one right. <laughs> I can't tell. Uh, enters the battlefield, create uh, Voja, friend to elves, which is a legendary 3-3 green and white wolf creature token. But that's not all. There's still more here. Whenever a wolf enters the battlefield, whether that wolf is Volja or another wolf, whenever a wolf enters the battlefield under your control, you gain three life and that creature fights up to one target creature you don't control. And then Tulsimer itself is a 3-3. Three, three. So, elf, right? It's a 3-3 three, three elf scout. So you, it's five mana, you get a 3-3 three, three elf and a 3-3 three, three wolf that come into play, both legendary creatures. And your wolf can fight another thing when it comes into play and you gain three life. So you play this for five mana, you get six power, one fight trigger, and gain three life. And then any time you would make another wolf, whether that was this or something else, there are a few doggies in this set. Those then also have the ability to fight on Enter the Battlefield they're and hounds, gain three Trey. life. They're, they're hounds, not dogs. And they're not werewolves. You call them whatever you want. There's puppies in this set and they can fight. It's not even a thing about us having a debate. It actually matters for the card. They're hounds, <laughs> not werewolves, just for the record. They don't work with her. <laughs> Keep talking. I just want to let you know because I think you I think you thought you were serious there. They're hounds. They're all hounds. I looked. I didn't see a werewolf anywhere. That is on the other even side. Arlen's companion? Arlen's companion, I think, is a wolf. But that, that's the Planeswalker one. That's what I meant. Like, those two are werewolves. Yeah. That's a werewolf. Go back to Innistrad. Yeah. Well, these aren't werewolves. It just has to be a wolf. Sure. You know what I mean? But, like, yeah. the others are hounds. Like, the, the legendary creature's a hound. Mm. I, I'll, I'll double check while you're talking. Keep talking. I think the card's good, but, but yeah, there I think many wolves in the set. I, I think the card is very interesting, and it's very good. That's a lot. Oh, just watch wolf. It does work with watch wolf. <laughs> sorry, of course talking. it does. I was being, I was being an a-hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wait for modern Naya. Now you get to play Huntmaster and this. Go crazy. <laughs> Make so many wolves. All of these doggos are hounds except for the companion. Very sad. I'm going to check the white ones. You Arlen's companion, I know, has to be a wolf. It, it is a wolf. It doesn't make any sense yeah. otherwise. Arlen makes wolves and Arlen's companion is a wolf. Everyone else is a hound, though. Yeah, but those wolves are popping off <laughs> with this guy in play. Isn't it a four-mana 2-2? Two, two? Hang on. <laughs> it's a 3-mana 3-2 right, that can't be black. It has the gate, uh, gate colossal claws. Yeah. But so, wow. <laughs> Sorry, keep talking. This card has a lot of value as far as when it comes into play, it does a lot of things. Like, you gain life, you fight. Like, this is another card that, like, if you're an aggressive deck, like a white deck or a red deck, like, this is annoying. It comes into play, like, you gain life, it creates a bunch of guys, it kills something. Like, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on here. Similar for any kind of recursion, whether it's a blink or coming back from the graveyard, like, this is just so much value that's happening on an individual turn. Um, for you to have to deal with. Like, the idea of, like, I know I've made a joke about Justicar's Portal, but, like, Justicar's Portal with this card is messed up. Like, if you, like, come in and fight a thing and, like, trade, let's say, like, you come in with a Benelish Marshal in play, and you play this, and your wolf fights and kills a Benelish Marshal, and then you just pass the turn. And then they come into it on, on a big attack, you know, to try to, like, get back in it, and you, like, blink this and now get another thing, fight another thing, and block two things, and you gain three life. Insane. Absolutely a blowout against those kind of aggressive decks. Um, but I think that this card's cool. Art's awesome. Wolves are awesome. Fighting is awesome. It's great. Yeah, I think the art's pretty good. You know, a deck like, uh, Green-White Midrange back from the Innistrad standard would really like having a card like this. Just like another, like a five drop that impacts the board and makes sure you live long enough for your Planeswalkers to take over. Yeah. That's what this card facilitates. Only there are enough Planeswalkers from this set to allow for it. I just don't think they're gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, yeah, I mean... It seems really powerful and very good at protecting walkers. So, like, in a mid-range type deck like that is good. And it does feel like a Huntmaster type role. Right. It's like very card. similar. You know, it it doesn't get, like, the just recurrent value by just sitting there that yeah. Huntmaster does. It's not as powerful. As it's not as powerful. But there are ways to get around and to use this in order to try to, like, recur it and do a lot of interesting things. For sure. Like, just think about every time you couldn't flip your Huntmaster and you're, like, kind of happy just to have two bodies. You spend one more mana and you gain one more in everything. In the right. fight up front. So, yeah, I mean, the thing that's going to be tough is like it is at a five drop spot. There's going to be a lot of competition for powerful things in the five drop spot, like in green white. Like you have to decide whether or not this is better than Tristani or you have to decide whether or not it's better than Biogenic Ooze, like which also makes two bodies or Lyra or Lyra, like which doesn't make two bodies. But like there's just a lot of competition for powerful things at the five drop spot in this. And so it's going to be specifically whether or not the fight matters and then whether or not you have other synergies that you can use to exploit the unique aspects of this card. Yeah, I wonder if it's a plant or if it's a commander card. Because it's one of those two, right? Like, we're either going to see more wolves soon, or we're going to see, like, you know, commander 
decks don't have a lot of wolf synergy despite all the Innistrad we've been to, and that's something they've said they want to fix, so I don't know. I don't know. Especially if they get to printing more wolves, this card becomes really interesting. Alright, let's get into this next one here. Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Spoilers, to be reborn, you probably have to die. So, Wuberg 1. So it's uh, white, blue, black, red, and green for its mana cost for a legendary creature dragon avatar. Makes me think it's like the spirit of Nivmizet. So I mean, he's, he's definitely dead. Like we've seen another card, like people mourning the dead, and there's a picture of Nivmizet. So right. we know that. Uh, for a flying six-six dragon, like I said, and when this enters the battlefield, you reveal the top ten cards of your library. For each color pair, choose a card for exactly those colors from among them. Put the chosen card in your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So just so you know, when they need like color pairs, just, just think the guilds. Right, if you have an Azorius card, a Glory card, and a Boros card, you get those cards. Yeah. It doesn't work for Bolas, who's like technically Rakdos and Demir. He's Grixis. He's not a color pair. It has to be a two-color combo. You just have to think of anywhere that you could go with Wayfinder Travel Agency, and then that's what you get. That's right. When you're on the Rakdos Carnival Cruise, for example, with your Judiths in this, seems like a terrible deck, but you can do that. <laughs> uh, jokes aside, this card's really weird, and that's why I picked it out. Because I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with it, except do really cool stuff. Now, obviously, everyone every time someone talks about this card here on a podcast, like, it could be a draw 10. Probably not a draw 10. Probably more likely like a draw 3. Like, you're probably a three-color deck that's playing, like, Dragon's Horde and Sarkin, like, base red something, and then cheating on the mana slightly for the other two colors that you're playing. The question is, is a six mana for, I'm sorry, a five mana 6-6 six, six flying creature that draws me three cards. And the best of the top ten of those three cards. But three cards. Is that good enough? And I think the answer is yes, assuming mana isn't a problem. Like, I'm just going to assume I can do the mana, right? Between Dragon's Horde and Sarkin and all the color fixing and Chromatic Lantern and Treasure Map. Treasure Map in this card are homies. Like, there are things you can do to get to the mana. I think it's good enough. Some things that make sense are like, uh, if you go with the base red argument, it's like Deafening Clarion in this, like, Kill their board, gain six. That's good. It doesn't have haste, but like on the next turn, right? Your six six probably stabilizes the board pretty well. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, I forgot the blue red card in the moment, but there are ones like uh, I'll think of a worse one for a second. Like hypothesis or something that like those kind of cards. There might be something there that you can play. There are gonna be new cards in the set we don't even know yet. So there are a lot of things you can do with this tray. What do you think? It's also one other thing. It's ETB, so you can reanimate this to get it the second time. So if there is a black red reanimate card that's great with this yeah well so it's interesting right like you're talking about playing the types of things that you would use to try to cheat the mana right you're already talking about like dragon sword you're talking about uh sarkin well then you can also like play the other niv mizzet you know you could be drawing the other like the normal uh previous niv mizzet with this like there are other cards you can be drawing other than just spells I think it was Ralph's Eric that I was thinking of. Ralph's Eric. makes a good yeah, one. Yeah, Ralph's Eric is good. Yep. Like, so there are a lot of, like, powerful things that you can do. And, like, even if this card just draws two, probably still good, or draws one. Like, you Gold know, cards are good. Gold cards are good. You're probably going to be playing them anyway. And if you're drawing these powerful effects and these powerful cards, like, you know, this card can draw Crackling Drake. This card can draw, like, you know, a Goblin Electromancer. Like, this card can draw a lot of different stuff that's really powerful that could go in a deck that has this kind of stuff in it and the type of stuff that you're talking about building. Um, so I think that the card is interesting. The mana costs are obviously... That's the problem. ...tough, you know, but I think that's the same kind of thing, like, right? It incentivizes you to play a variety of different things for different color pairs because you're stretching your mana as long as you can do so in a way that makes sense. And so, like, dragons are something that's interesting. You could be playing other dragons. You could play Niv-Mizzet in the deck. Yeah. I'm sorry, not, uh, Nicobolus is what I meant. Yeah, you could be playing different dragons, too. Like, there's other dragons that are out there other than just those that you might be incentivized to, like, lean hard on the dragon stuff to cheat the mana and be playing other dragons that are out there. Yeah, there have to be gold dragons besides Nif, too. So. Yeah, yeah, there are, and it's something that's that's interesting to explore with it. I don't know. The, the card is weird. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really like it, right? No, you know, but, like, Doom Whisperer is very powerful. It's a five-mana flying 6-6 six, six that just surveils. Right? Like, and that's easier to cast, but that's also a powerful thing. But then at the same time, that hasn't seen a ton of play. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to be curious to see what this is. The fact that this draws cards as opposed to just, like, tutoring for cards is interesting. Yeah, because it puts them in your hand mm -hmm. immediately. And you get to pick from, like, the top ten. Instead of sometimes a surveiller, like, I'll bend one and look at one more to try and find, like, this other card and bend two in that process. So, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with it, but I know that I can play this on turn four. Like, with a good draw in a Dragon's Horde or Sarkin, I can put a 6-6 six, six for four, or on, on turn four in the battlefield that draws me a couple of cards. I'm also, that's exciting. I'm also excited about cards that, like, like incentivize you to explore synergies with cards that are powerful that haven't really seen a lot of play. Like, Dragon's Horde's a great example of that. Like, that's a card that's interesting and has some powerful synergies that really hasn't seen a lot of play. Oh, we should probably see what that does, because no one's seen it. Whatever. Yeah. It's a three-mana artifact that can make mana of any color for dragons, and then, um, and I think, I think it's just a generic colorless normally without that. And then when you play a dragon, you get a gold counter on it or something like that. Or maybe it's a loot counter. And I think you it's get, a, a, yeah, a, a horde counter. A horde counter, yes, yes. For the dragon's is. horde. Yes. And so you can tap and remove a horde counter to draw a card. And so if you do that and then Nimbus it, you're like, obviously not happy this thing dies. But it probably drew a couple of cards. And late game, you bank draw a card. So there's some interesting things. And artifacts are hard to interact with right now. Sarkin, you know, probably some of their Planeswalker synergies. Obviously very good with this card. So... You can yeah. loot the extras away. You can, in fact, Sarkin works with this card double well. Cast it and loot it to reanimate it. Yeah, there was like a black red, like dragons control deck that was floating around for a little while with like Sarkin and Dragon's Horde that was there for a little bit in standard, and that did some really powerful stuff. But it felt like it was missing a couple of pieces. I'm like, maybe this is the type of stuff that it was missing. Yeah, right? maybe it needed a third color and just like a way to go over the top. Right, so you know that is an interesting thing because those are powerful synergies that haven't really found a home yet. So I, this makes that interesting to explore, and the, the card's obviously very powerful. Yep, that's all I have to say on that one. Speaking of very powerful, let's talk about the uh, the Thanos of the world, the enemy that there is. This is the uh, the Nicol Bolas Dragon God, Nico Nico, <laughs> which is that's fine. We've got we've got Grix's colors here. So it is blue, red, black, black, black. Uh, legendary Planeswalker Bolas has a static ability. Nicol Bolas Dragon God has all loyalty abilities of all other Planeswalkers on the battlefield. So yours and your opponents. If there are Planeswalkers in play, it gets to do all the stuff. Then it also has its own abilities, which are plus one, draw a card, and your opponent exiles a card from their hand or a permanent they control, which is your opponent's choice. They get to exile whatever it is they're going to exile. But that's the plus ability. Mm -hmm. Minus three, destroy target creature or planeswalker. And then minus eight, each opponent who doesn't control a legendary creature or planeswalker loses the game. And it comes in with four loyalty on it at five mana. Um, this card seems unbeatable <laughs> if it resolves. Uh, and if you can cast it consistently... Uh, I think that it is very specifically legendary creature, uh, legendary planeswalker Bolus, and not legendary planeswalker dragon Bolus to prevent you from being able to cheat the mana with the things that we just talked about. Oh uh, yeah, I guess that would work, wouldn't it? Right, because it's it is the dragon god, but it is not a dragon subtype, so it would not work with the dragon sword and for Sarkin. Uh, Sarkin and those types of things. And it has to have been done intentionally to avoid you being able to cheat the things that we were just talking about, because uh, otherwise it would be. Quite silly if you were able to ramp in it that easily with that type of thing. Because this card is so powerful. Um, the mana demands are high. But again, like I said, I've been playing a lot of Grixis mid-range. And those decks are primarily black and red based. Uh, and splashing blue. So this falls right in line with those type of decks. Well, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was blue, blue, blue. It's no, black, it's black, 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 black. My bad, my bad. Yeah, so this falls right in line with the type of thing that's going on there. And, uh, I mean... If you were going to play Angrath or you were going to play this, I'll see you Angrath. It was cool knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that card's very strong, like you're saying. Yeah. The I, problem is casting it. It's just like Niv Mizzet. Less so, but le still. Less so, but, you know, I think that this card is very easy to to try to deal with, like, in the type of uh, Grixis midrange decks that have already been seeing some fringe play. Those decks are going to get much, much better with Nicol Bolas being the primary villain going into this set and everything being built around him in that regard, I think that this card is going to be really interesting and obviously just insanely powerful. Yeah, I'm curious because I think it's all trinket text on the, like, you get to use other Planeswalker abilities. That's, like, a cool thing. But randomly sometimes your opponent's going to have one that's, like, a plus two ability, and you're going to be like, I'm ultimating in two turns. Plus up, I'll gain three life or whatever. Sure, the board's fine. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, a situation where you've got relative control you're not concerned about with what their planeswalker does, but it just adds more loyalty. Then yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be good to go. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I'm curious, like the plus one's pretty. I think the plus one's like strong or whatever, but it's not. And I think it it reads better than it will play. 
Does that make sense? It's a situation that's not going to generally help you gain control. Yeah. It's going to be something that's going to make it to where if you are ahead, you will not, your opponent will not catch up. Yeah, but I don't know how, those cards are easy to have, right, to be fair. But, like, I want to know how good it is when you're behind, kind of behind. Because it does minus and kill something, like, including a Planeswalker, which is good. I think the card's obviously good. I just wonder if it reads... I've been tricked by cards like this before. And I've played with them, and they didn't turn out to be as good as they are. And I'm getting weird vibes that I shouldn't trust this Bolas dude. I saw him kill Liliana <laughs> in a trailer. I, I tell you, I think this card is busted. I think it's about thinking about the things. I think you're thinking about them along the right line. Yeah. Right? That the plus ability, the fact that it draws a card and puts your opponent down a permanent. Like, it's going to take you from parity or ahead to your opponent never catching up. Yeah. That's that's where you are. But if you're behind, its plus ability is not going to really get you going. Right? You're going to need other things. Oh, need but, bitter blossom counters this. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to troll you because I know you love that new card. Yeah. Um, but... I think that this is a situation that it puts the game out of hand pretty quickly. Like, and if they've only got one thing going on, and if you're playing in these colors, like you're going to be playing a lot of discard, you're going to be playing a lot of spot removal, you're going to be playing a lot of sticky threats like Rekindling Phoenix that are going to make it hard for your opponent to like trade one for ones. And if this is the top end of what it is that you're doing in that deck, then it becomes that the game just gets put away really quickly. I wonder if you even need those cards. I wonder if you can just be like Bolus the deck. If you're just like, I'm going to play all the spot removal and the thought erasers and like an ionizer two, and I'm going to play Nicobolos and Nicobolos God Pharaoh, and I'm going to just stick these things, and they are going to win me the game. That's very possible. I don't know if that's going to be true, because the card's like Hydra, Crisis, and Teferi, but this card, if like, they comes out, same turn as Teferi, it, the truth is it's probably a six drop, right? It's like a lot of times you're going to cast this on turn six, you're just not going to have the right mana. Like, do you think that's fair? I don't know. Uh, you I know, just want to have to wait and seize. Yeah, I think it's wait and seize. I mean, the the way it goes right now is that the only basics that the Grixis decks plays are just swamps. Sure. And then everything else is all dual lands that would cast this. So maybe, you know, maybe, I, maybe it's not the fact that your base the fact the fact that its base casting cost is black and the other two are the splash colors. I think makes it a lot easier to cast on a Grixis deck than than it would otherwise look like. Yeah, you can dark ritual it. Sure. <laughs> Breaking no. news: Mason thinks they're reprinting Dark Ritual. No, I'm just thinking about vintage. Obviously, the real oh, format. sure, sure. You know, you go turn one Dark Rit, Mox, Mox this, and then they kill you. Joke <laughs> <laughs> uh, jokes aside, yeah, I think the card's good. I don't know. I I want to believe, and I want to pre-order, but my guts like don't do it for some reason. I just can't shake that. I can't figure out what it is because every time I talk about it, it's like I come to the conclusion like, no, it's going to be good enough. Yeah. But there's just something there that's like I'm not convinced enough. I, I, I can't. I can't describe it. I love how it has the destroyed creature or planeswalker. At first, you're like it copies all these other abilities, and you're like, yeah, like it wins into fairy war. Like you could copy their tech. It's like, nah, just kill it. <laughs> like, just, I, I, I might it. like kick it up with a fairy. And just be like, I need to like hold up the spot rubble spell or whatever. <laughs> that's the joke. You would never do that. <laughs> it's a Teferi deck. Yeah. Unless it's the new Teferi. Right. Also, is it copy activated abilities? Can you read that real quick? Is it all uh, It's abilities? all loyalty abilities. All loyal. Okay, so, so it, won't, it won't copy all the passive abilities. No, the static abilities are not copied. It's just loyalty Okay, abilities. I thought for a half second, I was like, whoa, hang on. Actually, you just get like all these weird abilities? No, that would be insane. Yeah, that'd be funny. It's like, all right, you play this, and your opponent's like, all oh, Rastic is It's like, your Teferi says this. Yeah. As such, you cannot. <laughs> Uh, that yeah. is a thing that I think people may get wrong, though, at yeah, least true. early in the format, though. They'll, like, play around it being like, ah, rats. Yeah, they're like, all right, untap. All of Rast is contempted now. And after the match, you're like, why'd you wait? And you're like, well, I had the claws. I'm like, that ain't it, chief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the card's pro. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited I'm, I'm about sure I'm going to lose to it a lot. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I think that card's really cool, and it's very powerful. And the idea of the Grixis colors getting a Planeswalker at that high of a power level where they've previously been playing things like Angrath, which is pretty medium. Or the other guy you suggested, the Uncommon Mind Rudder. Yeah, but I think that card's still good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it works with this strategy, too. It yeah. works with this strategy, too. If you're just reducing them, like, like Nicol Bolas wants them to be low on resources. And then if they're low on resources, they can never catch up. And they're just going to lose to this card. Yeah, and there's something we said, like, you don't think you would normally activate the other guy's ability, but also this doesn't guarantee to get the card out of their hand, and if you know the card in their hand is something good, like maybe they tutored for it on the last turn or whatever for some reason, it's like, well, this Maya Bolas won't answer it. Right. Yeah, Randomly you just get the up. double activations off of the... Yeah. In late game, if you have the other Bolas going, the flipped one, yeah. like, draw two, play this, draw two, go. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> All right, never win. Never stood a chance in my life. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like some super win more. Yeah. That that'd be really fun. That'll yeah. be the moment you know you should scoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You couldn't be the first one, was it? You're gonna thank your opponent. You're gonna be like, thanks. You know, you yeah. let me really do it all. Yeah. Like, hey, thanks for not scooping back three turns ago when I flipped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh let's talk about the actual card that that's clearly the best in the set. Oh, I'm excited. That's Fibblethip the Lost. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> Fibblethip? Fibblethip? Fibblethip. I'm saying his name perfectly correct. Hmm. I know that for a Okay. Oh, Fibbletip fan. As of this card, I was I thought it was cool before, but now I'm all in. Oh, come on, man. Fibbletip's great. He's, he is pretty cool. But it's pretty cool. Fibbletip is cool. It's like LeBron. Yeah. One in the blue for a creature homunculus. Trey's like, you're not even looking at it. It's a legendary creature for it. Uh, when Fibbletip the Lost enters the battlefield, draw a card. If it entered from your library or was cast from your library, draw two cards instead. When Fibbletip becomes a target of a spell... Shuffle Fibblethip into its owner's library. <laughs> Fibblethip is so weird. The, the word Fibblethip has lost all meaning. <laughs> yeah. It has no vowels, first off, which is just real, real shocking. Second off, it's like Elvish Visionary at its baseline. It's yeah. Like, would one, you play Elvish Visionary in, in your blue deck? It's like where you start with this card. Maybe? Well, it depends on the blue deck, though, right? Right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, for... for uh, standard players, it's Dusk Legion Zealot. Sure, right, like sure. Same, except you don't lose the life. Yeah, it's like a... Yeah. It's like, yeah, so instead of losing the life, it's legendary, so you can't, like, spam the board with them, right, or whatever. But if you can cast it from your deck, it has some advantages. Or interplay from your deck. So, like, Collective Company, Eldritch Evolution, Vanifar, those are all real things. So, one of the things people talk about this card is there is Vanifar, which is the birthing pod we talked about ad nauseum last set, as potentially being good. And with that card, uh, you can, like, sacrifice your elf after you get Vanifar in play and then draw two cards. And, like, you work up your chain a little bit. And now you're, like, replacing your cards and moving through your deck. And Fibblethip is very good with that. Then Autumn actually got Neoform, which is a blue and a green for a sorcery preview card. That as additional cost to cast as well as sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to plus one of these sacrifice creatures converted mana cost. Put down the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter and shuffle your library. So obviously cool adapt things there, but that's like another way to like work up the chain with Vanifar. And you could like Vanifar for Fibblethip and then sacrifice Fibblethip for this, or you can like Neoform into Fibblethip and then, you know, just like there's a lot like you can double Neoform. You can do a lot of cool things with the card. You can make a thickle tip, which is a thick Fibblethip with a plus one plus one counter. Disapprove. <laughs> so those are all like pretty cool and weird things. But this card just like does so many weird things too with it like it becomes a target. So if you can cheat the targeting part of the card, right? Which I admit, I'm no judge. So what I'm about to say might be wrong, but we think we are correct. So if you can cheat the targeting part, you get like really far ahead. Right? So the next card, roll reversal, which is blue, blue, red for a sorcery, exchange control of two target permanents that share a permanent type. We believe from reading this card and doing some minor research, we're not finding anything definitive. That since the card has two targets, you can target Fibblethip and your opponent's Nico Bolas the Ravenger, for example. Fibblethip will go back into your deck once the spell's done resolving, and then, because the, the trigger will have a delay, and then Nico Bolas will become yours. Now, you're putting a Switcheroo in your deck, but if you can, like, if you were close to the market on Switcheroo anyways, and you have a Fibblethip, like, that's just more value. And if you play Fibblethip, you didn't suddenly have a weird combo in your deck. And draw a card on this is, like, Listen, a 1-1 one, one isn't great in the world. X-1s aren't great in the world of Goblin Chain Warlord, especially 1-1s, one, but at least replaces itself and moves through your deck. And if you have an Aristocrats deck, or like a the black-green um, Cripple of Threat type deck, would have loved the Fibblethip if they wanted to play blue. So I think it's got the real potential. I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to do with it exactly. But that's why this card's so exciting to me. Yeah, there's a lot going on with it. And it's a weird card. It's also unique in the sense that there haven't been other cards that are really like this. Yeah. And so, you know, what the... But there have been two, which is the other weird part. <laughs> right. like we have, like, half analogs to this card a lot. Yeah, it's like half a Narc Amoeba, but not really a Narc Amoeba. Yeah. And then, like, half an Elvish Visionary, but not an Elvish Visionary. Yeah, and, like, 100% Kawaii, so... That, that's nonsense. <laughs> um, Good talking. Uh... But there's a lot there. Like, okay, so, like, there's decks that play Radical Idea, right? That, like, really want them to be instants of sorceries. Like, the Arclight decks and things like that, right? But if you're in the market for just, like, a repeatable card draw effect for a blue and a colorless that doesn't necessarily need it to be that, like, there might be some argument there to play Fibblethip. Like, like say for even, like, an Esper Control deck, right? Like, you might have an interest in it only because, like, playing a card draw spell that then can, like, block and just 
help to bridge you to the later turns. It might be something that you have interest in. I love the commitment to the fiddle step. I'm like, I got my Teferis, I got my Vraskas, and I ain't living home without the fiddle. <laughs> I mean, but maybe. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it has some possible implications there. Yeah, I... I think that's probably a little too deep, but maybe like an Esper mid-range deck might want it. Like one that plays more creatures and has like creature synergies. Like I could see that. Like fine, like obviously fine finality isn't at its best to fiddle thip, but like if you play fiddle thip and like, like a Vanifar deck might play fine finality, right? Because you sacrifice creatures to get more creatures, you buy those creatures back, you need to mitigate the fact that you're upgrading your creatures and normally try and do that with creatures. But cards like fine finality let you buy back your pod, have some redundancy. Buying back fiddle thip, it's like, all right, I really want this Vanifar, and I want to cast this now, and I'll get Fibblethip back to replace itself, you know? And Fibblethip goes fine to three, draws itself. It's a great engine card when you can abuse it. And then I think I think the trick is that it will just see play in decks. Like, it just will be an Elvis Visionary some other times. We just have to find decks that want Elvis Visionary. Right. Which we just don't really have at the moment. That doesn't mean we won't have them. Yeah, I mean, the pieces are there. I mean, there were some people that were playing Vanifar-style decks in this previous standard like it was a thing that people were exploring and looking around at and like maybe there's more stuff there yeah for sure and may- maybe algebraic evolution type stuff will come out who knows but, i doubt it in modern there's probably better stuff but maybe you want it but the, you know I, I know that you kind of rolled your eyes or whatever but like i do think there's something too like if there are things that are hyper aggressive like having a cantrip that can just like buy you a turn is also something to possibly consider if you're the type of deck that needs to bridge to the late game maybe i I'm not a believer in that. I need. I would need to see it and believe it. I think cards like Moment of Craving do too good of a job of something like that. So that's either here or there. That's a black card. This is a blue card. We love Fiddlethip. We're just trying to take. Fib- a, we both really like Fiddlethip, so we're taking a measured approach. But I'm <laughs> yeah. like more excited. For, I'm probably Dreadhorde Arcanus might be the card I'm most excited for, and like Fiddlethip is like kind of right there. But Arcanus, I like kind of know what I'm supposed to do, and Fiddlethip is like I really need. Sam, like, Sam Pardee and Matt Nass to play with it so I can get some ideas, you know what I mean? I, I need some legwork done that I'm not really willing to commit to in my life right now. So I look forward to receiving 50 Fibblethip deck lists from you over the next three weeks. Yeah, I mean, if you want to watch my stream at twitch.tv slash Clark on day one, Fibblethip's going to be in play before we click Escape Conceit. <laughs> What's your last card, buddy? Uh, it's another Planeswalker. There may be a couple in the set. I don't know if you heard. It's like 20. Uh, this is a Johnny the Great Hearted. Ooh. Green, white, two. Planeswalker a Johnny. Creatures you control have Vigilance is the static ability, and then it's plus one, you gain three life. And then minus two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control, and a loyalty counter on each Planeswalker you control. Sorry. Each other planeswalker you yeah, control, it which, which just, matters. It's yeah. not. It doesn't turn the minus two into a minus one, <laughs> which, which would be silly. It would be silly, but also kind of cool because yeah. it is like, yeah. And it does come in with five loyalty on it, so it's yeah. four mana for five loyalty, which is, a, which is a good rate, right? Like that's a that's a lot of loyalty for the cost. The plus ability is relatively innocuous. Like gain three life is okay. Like it's going to be really good in some matchups, right? Like you play that against like red, and you're like plus gain three life, plus gain three life, and if they're trying to attack and kill this. Like you gain so much life from this coming into play. The Johnny's Pride Mate. Yeah, but in a lot of in a lot of places it's gonna be pretty medium that that's the plus ability. But the minus ability is really interesting. Not only because of the amount of planeswalkers that are there. So if you're playing any type of a super friends type thing, especially with all of the uncommon type planeswalkers that are only have minus abilities, like the ability to pump up all of your other planeswalkers is something that's going to be really interesting and really powerful. Additionally, adapt creatures. This fits in a color that have access to adapt creatures, and that's a synergy and a, and a uh, mechanic that I don't think has really been adequately explored yet in Standard. So things like Incubation Druid, Growth Chamber Guardian, you know, these other adapt creatures that have these abilities. Like, the idea of, like, playing this, uh, playing Incubation Druid on two, and then playing your third land and playing this and plussing to just put a counter on your Incubation minus. Druid. Or, uh, yeah, minus to get the counters. And like putting a counter on Incubation Druid, and now you have access to so much mana. You have seven mana the next turn. Like that's a lot. That's big game. Or the same thing of like playing Growth Chamber Guardian, and then like you can adapt it the next turn, and then also put counters on it with this, and like double tutor to go get things. Like there's a lot of stuff that are going on with the interactions with adapt creatures with this specific thing in the background. The other side of it is just taking it in a general token theme. Uh, Green-white tokens was a popular strategy. Chain Whirler is a real problem for that type of deck. And so immediately being able to like permanently pump all of your tokens out of Chain Whirler range with this on a, on a minus activation is also a big game. 
100% as I got, I'm a little tired from the great food we ate earlier. Um, the other thing that I think you mentioned in passing, I think Israel is like a super friend decks can just kind of die, right? Like you can just get killed. And if your opponent's like a red deck and you start to stabilize a little bit and they're like, you're in striking distance over like a lightning strike or whatever, this gets you out of there pretty quickly. It's like, yeah, I really want to ultimate my bow loss in three turns, but to do that, I need to be alive. So first things first, go to six, you know? It's like, all right, they drew a bowl. It's like, all right, I really want to go, but whatever, tick up again, you know? That kind of stuff can be really important. Yeah, so I think this card's interesting. And like I said, the fact that it has five loyalty when it comes in. The, it, we didn't even mention Vigilance, too. Like, oh, yeah. It, it gives all the creatures Vigilance is great with tokens. For sure. For Sorry. sure. Keep talking, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of things there. And it's a thing that's interesting about some of these Planeswalkers existing that don't have ultimates. Right? But they have these passive abilities instead of ultimates. And you can get things like these really high loyalty counts at relatively low mana costs, because you don't have to worry about you're working towards some type of ultimate that's going to totally warp the game. And so instead, you can get a lot of value activations of things because of the amount of loyalty that they have when they come in. Yeah, it's also weird. It's like, normally the trick is kill, like, not the trick, but like the default is kill a walker. And it's much more rare to not to go face over a walker in a lot of times, right? Like, it's like, okay, I'm setting up lethal on the next turn, right? With these walkers, maybe not a Johnny per se, but... With a lot of them we talked about, they don't really win the game anytime it's just like relatively quickly except for a bolus. So it's like, yeah, I can just go face. Like I don't have to attack the Vraska. I don't have to attack the Angra. I don't have to attack a Johnny. Your creatures can just have menace. Whatever. Who cares? You know? And so I think that's important to keep in mind when you're talking about the new set. Yeah, but I think these cards are all fun. I'm very excited about this set. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff, and I'm looking forward to see how this not only like, warps existing archetypes, but also, like, creates new things that we haven't seen yet, which I think there are potential with a lot of the things that we've seen and a lot of the design of some of these cards being really weird to see archetypes that we have not seen so far in Standard. 1,000%. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We're talking about five cards we really liked from the set. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, uh, we <laughs> we didn't really get into a lot of big arguments there because the cards are all super sweet. Yeah, you didn't pick Teferi, so we didn't have to have that conversation. Who, who knows where we fall on that? We'll leave that one up to the listeners at home where we fall. <laughs> yeah, the, a fight's coming, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a Bruin. Uh, time. Just in time. Is that what he says when you play Monterino? Just in time. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We want to make sure to check out the rest of the network for all the other shows. We got constructive criticism, Seth Manfield, John Stern, Spencer Howland, crushing it over there, talking about a lot of really cool things. If you're not listening to that podcast, you're doing it wrong, especially since our shows line up so well. Um, you should also check out Common Knowledge. We're a popper player, Lobert and Brandon. They host that show. They're doing a great job. I think they're coming up on episode 60 soon. That's a lot. It's a lot of episodes. It's a whole lot. Check it out. It's awesome. Then we have Homeward Path. MTG Dad Show. If you're trying to juggle a lot of stuff, that might be the show for you. And then we have The Hive Mind, which is a MTG talk show hosted by John. Excuse <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. And, um, yeah, you want to make sure to check out that show. A little bit more laid back, a little bit different than what's on the rest of the network. A lot of the stuff on the network you know are very much about improvement and stuff like that. This is more like a, hey, having people on, talking, getting to know people. A different spice of life that you don't see so much in magic podcasting. So you definitely want to check out those shows. Trey, if someone wants to find you and talk to you about how dope Adapt is, where can they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TreyMC. Awesome. If you want to find me and talk about what you think we can do with FibbleThip, or if you got some sweet Arcanist uh, brews, tweet at Mason E. Clark. You can also find me on Facebook at Mason Clark and at twitch.tv slash Clark. We've got some exciting stuff coming up over there, so new set. Can't wait to play with it. If you beat somebody with a FibbleThip, do you think that will result in them giving the table a fibble flip? But up, but up, dude. Hey, the trick is, is that they never see the fibble flip killing them. It's all the cards that fibble flip made along the way, just like our friends. <laughs> the, the real fibble flips were the cards we drew along the way. <laughs> exactly. All right. I'm just saying, people table flip when I give them. I'm sorry. It's called a fibble flip. Uh, yeah, they got fibble flip when I hand them fibble flip, but I don't take my hand off, and I take their phoenix and I slide it over, and like now back to my deck he goes. Like would you like to cut. <laughs> That's the real tilter. I think all logic has been totally lost at the end of this podcast. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and roll with us next week. Alright. So we need the listeners to help us handle something. This is important. So we're going to tell a story and at the end we're going to need you all to tweet 
message, get on Discord, let us know. And I'm going to tell it as it happened for both of our sides. This is about a three-minute story, so buckle in. If you know anything about the world, you know Marvel's Avengers Endgame is coming out very soon. Oh, Trey's pulling up the actual conversation to have his argument for it. And I saw everywhere that the tickets were selling out, and I was like, I, don't, I want to see it week one, but I don't want to stay off the internet for a week, right? Because that's what you're going to have to do if you don't want spoilers. It's going to be very hard to get on the internet, right? So... I'm seeing it, I'm like, my friend Trey would want to see this, and it looked like the Sunday showing was going to be the best showing for me. So I message Trey, and I say, hey, do you want to see Avengers Endgame? By the way, I'm doing this from memory as he's looking at the exact message. Do you want to see Avengers Endgame at 11 before we record the podcast? Trey goes, I'd love to. I'm like, perfect. So I use our, my money. I buy the two tickets. I use my senior citizen discount for Trey. And then, boom, we have our tickets. And I'm like, here's the ticket code or whatever. For when we go to the, the movie, I'm super excited to see this. So I bought tickets for the Sunday the, sh- the movie came out like a normal person. Now, Trey, what happened to you during the same time period? So it's important for everyone to know <laughs> that I was shooting a music video. <laughs> Whoa, sick frag! <laughs> Just telling you. For those of you that don't know, I'm a filmmaker. That's what my job is when we're not doing the podcast. And so I had been doing uh, four eight-hour-at-night shooting days. <laughs> Mason messaged me and said, exactly, and I quote, (laughs) hey, want to see Avengers on Sunday before we record Even Odds? I said, that sounds dope. (laughs) End of conversation. Mason said he'd get tickets. He got tickets. Yeah. I then spent what little free time I had (laughs) preparing to see the Avengers. I rewatched Infinity War, which was delightful. I went and saw Captain Marvel, which I had not seen. Had a great time. Very sci-fi heavy. A lot of empowerment. Very fun. You're like, oh, whoa, is near with these two great times I had. Then, while I was at Captain Marvel, I saw a trailer for <laughs> Avengers Endgame that said it comes out April 26th. And I thought, well, that's strange. Because Mason asked me if I would like to go this Sunday... To see Avengers Endgame. Didn't you tell your wife that? And, with yeah, with and I was at the, I was at, with my wife and I said, that's weird. She goes, how did Mason get tickets for this? I was like, I don't know. It must be some kind of weird preview event. I don't know. And then I talked to Mason and I said, what time are you coming over? Or am I just going to meet you at the theater? And he's like, we're not going to the movie this weekend. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yes, admittedly, I did not know when the movie came out until I went and saw that and saw the trailer. Now. All of this would be fine. This would just be a funny antidote. We wouldn't be needing your opinion to weigh in, except for the next part. Trey, why are we having this conversation on the podcast? Because the weekend of April 26th, I am not in the state of Tennessee and cannot go to the movie. I will be out of state at a different event and cannot go for the time that Mason has bought the tickets. So I feel that I operated in good faith considering the information available to me and Mason feels wronged and slighted. His face is red right now as I'm telling you about this. I have bought tickets. In fact... I even said, buddy, I'm going to use the first payment of my paycheck from the Patreon to buy our tickets as a celebration for each other and even odds. This is what's going to be on the house. I know how much Avengers and Marvel means to Trey as he's wearing a Superman shirt right now. Which is kind of related. They're comic books. And it's also a sick job. Uh, And so I'm just flabbergasted. And if you want to go see Avengers Endgame with me, Slide into my DMs. There's a ticket available. <laughs> I have a ticket that I need to sell. Uh, so, yeah. tweet at us. Who who should be more upset? Trey or me? It's important. I have lost my friend and someone I wanted to go see the movie with. And I did a niceness for it. I was shoved in my face because I know I'll never do that with you. And then Trey got to watch the Marvel movies and have a great time with his wife. And be prepared for Avengers, thanks to me readying him a little bit early. I don't know. Tweet at Mason E. Clark, at Trey MC, or maybe at Even Odds, and let us know who you are on. Hashtag Team Trey, hashtag Team Mason. Thanks for rolling with us.